You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. Occasionally on this podcast, we're going to pick out an individual species of waterfowl and have it be the focus of a general discussion about its ecology, management, and various other aspects of its life history. We're doing this partly in response to some of your listener comments, so we certainly appreciate those and want you to know that we're getting those, we're receiving those, and we're modifying some of the content of this podcast in response to those. So on this episode, we're going to be talking about one of the more intriguing species of waterfowl in North America, and certainly one that exists on the, quote, bucket list of every waterfowler and bird watcher in North America. That species is a cinnamon teal. Now, to help us with that with this conversation, we are happy to welcome in Casey Setash, a PhD student at Colorado State University who is studying this species as part of her PhD research, and it was also part of her recently completed master's research. So, whether she likes it or not, Casey is well on the way to becoming known as a cinnamon teal expert. Casey, welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, and thanks for taking the time to join us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We're going to start off with a simple introduction like we do with all of our guests. We're going to have you introduce yourself to our listeners, how you came to be at Colorado State, how you, what it is you're doing at Colorado State, and how you came to be infatuated, if I can use that word, with, uh, with waterfowl. Yeah, so uh, I came here by way of Virginia Tech as an undergrad. Uh, I knew I was interested in birds um, and as I got into my classes some more, I took some population dynamics classes and realized that I, that's the kind of side of wildlife that I was interested in. And the, the next logical step in that procession was uh, the waterfowl world because the, the waterfowl field has really pioneered some of the great minds in population ecology and um, some of the great work that is still being done. So I, I, just applied on a whim to a position, a master's position at Colorado State and didn't think I had a great chance. Um, and next thing I knew, I was moving out here um, and heading into the field just a couple months later uh, just to study cinnamon teal. So it's been it's been kind of a wild ride, but I've since then become a waterfowl hunter and really realized that it's what I want to study and what I want to continue working with throughout my career. Excellent. And I mentioned previously that you have now completed your master's research. When did you actually kind of close the book on, on the master's research and transition to a PhD? That was 2018. Um, I had a summer in between uh, finishing my master's and starting the PhD. So I had three field seasons for my master's and I'll have three for my PhD. Okay. Outstanding. Now, Casey, before we get into our discussion of cinnamon teal, I'm going, I need to make a remark about you being the, the recipient of something known as the Bruce Bat 
fellowship in waterfowl conservation. And so what that is, it's something that we haven't talked about yet on the podcast, but every year Ducks Unlimited Incorporated, it's DU in the States, and then Ducks Unlimited Canada award somewhere in the neighborhood of seven or eight fellowships, financial fellowships to help support the education and training of our next generation of conservation scientists in the waterfowl and wetland field. So the one you received was in honor of retired DU chief biologist, Dr. Bruce Batt. Of course, Bruce was highly respected and recognized throughout the waterfowl community. He worked across a number of landscapes on numerous topics. And uh, I think this is a really cool thing. And I'm sure that you're, uh, I'm sure it's an honor for you to receive that that fellowship in his name. And so I just wanted to say, I needed to acknowledge that the, the great work that you had done to receive that fellowship in support of your PhD and offer my personal congratulations to you for that. Yeah, thank you. It it definitely is an honor. I mean, he's a legend of the field and I can't tell you how many times I reference the the bat bible if you will um <laughs> to study for my comprehensive exams. It's it's the go-to book still. That's absolutely right. Every every uh, scientist, student, waterfowl ecologist knows the bat at all uh, book. That much is for sure. So, uh, well, very good. And we're going to have other recipients of those DU fellowships on the podcast uh, because that we want to help celebrate that. We think it's very important to to support the next generation of waterfowl scientists and conservationists. But we also want to sort of play a role in introducing those people at an early stage to the, to the people that care about the resource. And some of those are, are our listeners of this podcast. So you're going to be one in, in a long line of additional recipients of those awards that we bring on. So, so you're the first, it's another one of the milestones that we've achieved here on this, on this podcast. There's going to be a number of milestones and this is just the latest uh, in long line of those. So let's move now to a discussion about cinnamon teal. Did, were you were you kind of I'll, I'll use the word again infatuated with this species before you saw the advertisement? Did you had you known much about it? Was there anything in particular that drew you to this particular project? I don't think anybody knew much about them. That's kind of the whole point. But I was <laughs> I was definitely an East Coaster. I had no experience with them. Um, I worked a summer up in Montana studying or on a songbird project, and I went out to Benton Lakes National Wildlife Refuge and saw my first cinnamon teal. And I just remember, I mean, being enamored. They're like unlike any other species of duck. And uh, when I saw the position, uh, it just it seemed like a perfect fit. They're 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 interesting because no one knows anything about them. And I think that's been kind of the, the thread that's been through this whole project. Yeah, cinnamon teal are certainly a, a species that many people in the eastern U.S. Are, have, have probably never seen unless they've actually gone west of the Mississippi it's a species that just doesn't come over here with any regularity. Now, if you get them in Texas or southwestern Louisiana, that's that's a feat in itself. But to get them east of the Mississippi is truly a rare thing. I remember I spent some time in California, and that's where I first, in the Central Valley of California, and that's where I first saw them. And they're just absolutely gorgeous birds, at least the males are. The females are, are almost indistinguishable from blue-winged teal. But I'm going to let you kind of talk about the the, the basics of cinnamon teal for those people that may not be too familiar with them that may kind of wonder about them. They've always sort of seen reference to them. Maybe they've seen pictures of them in a DU magazine, but maybe they haven't taken the time to really read up on their ecology distribution population size. So let's just start with their distribution. Tell our listeners where, where they can be found uh, in North America. 
it's really interesting if you look at a range map it almost perfectly lines up with the rockies Uh, they go a little bit further east than that but not too far and um it's actually it's interesting if you look back at their evolution as millions of years ago when they diverged from blueing teal uh they pretty much made an even split one group went west of the rockies one went east and that kind of is they think how the the two different breeding populations kind of emerged into the two species and actually um there are five subspecies of cinnamon teal we've only got one up in north america which makes them the only duck species that breeds in both north and south america Um, but if you look at the south south american subspecies they look a lot more similar to blue winged teal they've kind of got those those speckles along the sides um less of the the golden kind of tertials that the cinnamons that we know have um and you can see that at, at one point they were the same now whenever i said that you are on the road to becoming a cinnamon teal expert i think i need to to rephrase that and say you are a cinnamon teal expert with this kind of with this knowledge that you're that you're sharing with us because i'm actually going to learn some things from this i can tell you already uh i knew a few of those things about them being the only species dabbling, dabbling duck that you know, breeds in both North and South America, but the whole subspecies thing, that's, that's kind of new to me as well. So thank you for that. Let's also, so you, you talked about them being sort of, uh, their distribution aligning with the Rockies. Of course, there's, they breed in, in uh, the Central Valley of California as well. And that's, of course, that was where I had my exposure, but within that, within the, the Intermountain West, as it's called, Describe for our listeners the type of habitats where they can be found, because that's a that's an area that people don't readily associate with with great breeding waterfowl habitat. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I tell people occasionally that I'm studying waterfowl in Colorado and get strange looks because it's not the the typical duck factory. You know, you're not you don't have these little potholes all over the the whole Intermountain West. You have these kind of Intermountain basins or or parks, uh, as we call them in Colorado, at least, um, where they're they're typically pretty high elevation and they have uh, these wetland systems that uh, are either you know, associated with rivers or occasionally here, um, underground aquifers. And they're, I mean, they're known to be closely associated with water when they nest. They're, they're not overwater nesters, but they, they really need these, this thick vegetation. Oftentimes this, uh, Baltic rush is some of the stuff that we found them in most frequently. It's not kind of the agricultural settings quite as much as in the prairie potholes. That's a perfect segue to my next question, the prairie pothole region. You've already talked about how they are very similar to blue wing teal. They're, I think it would be their closest relative, right? Blue wings and cinnamons? Yep, although shovelers are pretty close as well. Yes, yes, and yes, indeed. We've talked about the relationship between blue wing teal and cinnamon teal. Blue wings nest primarily in the in the prairies, uh, the prairie pothole region, and then the cinnamon teal are in the Intermountain West and, and farther west. And so we have this kind of geographic divide between these two species that are very closely related. Do we know? Anything about why we don't see more intermixing of those species on the on the breeding grounds? Because you really don't see that. You don't see blue winged teal in the Intermountain West and in California, and you don't see cinnamon teal in the prairies or, or east of the Rockies. Do we know what's going on there? 
Yeah, that's a great point. And I don't think we do know. I mean, that was one of the biggest uh, the, the impetus for some of this work. Um, they just wanted to get some, some of these cinnamon teal banded that were known cinnamon teal because, as you mentioned before, the females look so similar uh, that it's hard to tell them apart. So some of that work is still ongoing and they, they've been putting transmitters on cinnamon, GPS transmitters on cinnamon teal for the last few years now to try, try to see exactly that. Why aren't they going to the areas of blue wing teal? Um, why aren't they intermixing as much? And, and actually are they, I mean, we know they hybridize occasionally. Is there more hybridization going on than we think? And we just don't know. As we've studied waterfowl in North America for decades and decades, yet there are still some of these really you might even say basic, pretty basic questions when you talk about the distribution of species and where they where they overlap or where they don't and why they don't overlap. That's some pretty basic information. There are some of these things that just continue to uh, to evade us. So um, that's yeah. Uh, I was hoping you had the answer to that, but my apologies. <laughs> no need to apologize. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Well, I tell you what, let's move on to some more about the basics of this species. It's, it, it certainly has one of, the, um, one of the more interesting distributions, as we've talked about. Its distribution in the western U.S. is as interesting as the distribution of black ducks in the eastern U.S. But let's talk about population size. What do we know about the population size of cinnamon teal? Again, not much. Uh, they The more recent population estimates put it, um, including blue wing teal, they always combine them because they do look so similar. So when they're doing these surveys, they can't tell them apart from the air. Um, and we think that they're somewhere around 125,000 combined in, in the West, in the Western States. Uh, as far as the 80s, um, there was um, that's the most recent reasonable estimate and that put them under 300,000. So that makes them pretty much the least abundant duck species in North America. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I can't, I can't let that go without reminding you that I, I worked along the Gulf coast for 13 years. And so I have to, I have to put model ducks in there as, in the, as in the running for the least, there you go. <laughs> least abundant. Now uh, debating what is the least abundant species of waterfowl in North America is not necessarily what we would want to be doing, but Mexican ducks as well. And so I take every opportunity I can to, uh, to mention model duck and remind people of its, of its existence. But no, the bottom line is that cinnamon teal are definitely one of our least abundant species in, in North America. And, and I'll just kind of link this to an earlier conversation where we had Ken Richkus talking about the breeding population and habitat survey and how massive it is covering over 2 million square miles in uh, in the northern U.S. and Canada. And the, but the thing is, the area covered by that survey does not intersect very much at all of the of the breeding range of cinnamon teal. So it can't really provide us any useful information on population side of, of cinnamon teal. Are there any are there any aerial surveys or road surveys or anything that are conducted by any of the Intermountain West states with any Regularity. I think you actually answered this, but just remind me again. 
I don't think so. Uh, the only thing that's going on is is banding uh, over the last five or six years. That's kind of done with the goal of getting some kind of population estimate. Well, the next thing that we want to talk about, again, basic information about this bird harvest. Now, there's, there's a little twist to this, and you've kind of referenced it already a couple of times, but I want to uh, think it's very interesting for our listeners to hear this. What do we know about harvest or harvest rates, either of those two things on cinnamon teal? We know they're low. Uh, not many people are shooting these birds. I, I know from experience that I can't shoot a teal to save my life, <laughs> but the other part of that is that we don't know if they're shooting cinnamons or blue wings because of that time of year, unless they've got the red eye that's characteristic of the males, which is not super common in the non-breeding season. Um, you, you can't tell them apart. I mean, there's that was one of the big goals of this project, of my project and uh, the Fish and Wildlife Service that, that got the funding for that was to see, could you actually use morphometric measurements to tell these two species apart, both the females and then the males in non-breeding plumage? Um, and they, they had biologists who had been working with these birds for years, look at the, look at the bill. And, you know, there are some things like there's more white underneath the bill on a blue wing teal. Um, they've got a little bit narrower of a bill than the cinnamons, but they would, swear up and down that the, they had one species or the other and then take measurements or take genetic samples and it would be wrong. Uh, so there's just not a lot of confidence in which species you're actually harvesting. So that complicates matters further. That's an excellent point. And I hadn't really thought about, there's two aspects of this in, in the difficulty of being able to, to know if you're shooting a, a cinnamon teal, uh, uh, harvesting a cinnamon teal. And one is, is the fact that, yeah, early in the season, they look almost identical to blueing teal, both the males and the, and the females. But so even if you're a hunter in the field and you shoot a, a teal, a blue wing teal like duck, you can't really, I guess one of the, one of the traditional ways that people would say, Oh, I shot a cinnamon teal is to know if you're West of the Rockies, chances are that greater, the chances are greater that that's a, a cinnamon teal. Um, and then vice versa, you know, you're farther East is more likely a blueing teal, but when they're in that basic plumage, you really, you really can't tell. And you also can't tell from the wing and you can't tell from the wing regardless of what time of year it is. And this is an important point because our estimates of nationwide harvest by species are determined based on examination of wings. We had Kathy Fleming and, and Paul Padding on an earlier episode talking about the harvest information program and how we estimate harvest in, in the U.S. And that's where they talked about the wing bees. A, a sample of hunters get selected every year to send in their wings. And so when you get this blue wing type wing, uh, we can't really tell uh, if it's a blue wing or a cinnamon. So uh, that's that's why we can't really get independent harvest estimates for blue wing and cinnamon teal. I believe actually in the report, it even lists them as blue wing slash cinnamon. And I think the same thing for age ratios. So just a really interesting nuance there of, uh, of waterfowl identification. It's important in numerous ways, but there's still a couple of species here that that stymie our ability to, to, to pull them out in our, in our methods. So some of the work that you're talking about, you know, looking at finer morphological metrics to separate those two is pretty, um, that's why some of that's interesting and, and is needed. So 
Absolutely. Casey, we've talked about breeding locations. Uh, We're going to talk about sort of breeding habitat requirements in a subsequent episode where we'll get into some of your, uh, your research. But let's talk briefly here, and we're probably getting close to wrapping this up, just on the basics of this of this species. Talk about wintering locations, and and we all know that blue winged teal are the earliest migrants, uh, certainly in the eastern U.S. You know that we're talking August September. What about cinnamon teal? Or do they fall into that same category as early migrants? And then where do they go during winter? They do. They're pretty comparable in terms of migration times as blue wings, and uh, they're mostly going in the U.S. at least to New Mexico and California. We've had some from Colorado that then go winter in California, so it's not necessarily just a north-south migration. But a lot of those birds are actually wintering in Central and Northern South America. Uh, We know from some of the harvest locations in the GPS transmitters that Nicaragua actually is a big wintering location, as well as uh, many states in Mexico. Ah, that's that's really interesting that that GPS telemetry has given us that kind of information. Casey, you've thought more about cinnamon teal, read more about cinnamon teal than I probably ever will. Uh, here as we as we wrap up, I think we've we've covered the the, the most basic information. Again, we're going to get into some of the, the the maybe the demographics, nest survival, hen survival, things of that nest site selection on on a subsequent episode. But is there anything else that you want to that you want to point out about cinnamon teal to the listeners that would be interesting to to our listeners? Um, one of the more interesting harvest related anecdotes, uh, that came out of my master's was a call. I, I, well, I found out about it through social media, but somebody shot a bird that I had web tagged. And I don't know if you've talked about web tagging on previous episodes, but essentially just a small number tag that we put on the webbing of the foot of each duckling as it hatches. Um, so this was a bird that we knew where its nest location was and, uh, it didn't have a band. It just had the web tag and it was shot in Corpus Christi, Texas. And I talked to the hunter who shot it and, um, he had a theory that they're expanding their range eastward. And I don't know if that's true, but I would be interested to to hear other people's perspectives and, uh, see if that's actually happening because we know blue winged teal moved farther West over over some time, but uh, we don't know if that's actually happening with cinnamons. Oh, okay. All right. Well, so you referenced something there that maybe I'm, maybe my knowledge is a bit out of date. Do you see blue winged teal uh, nesting and breeding in the areas where you're finding cinnamon teals? We definitely do. Uh, oh, there's, okay. I mean, I would say 90% of the birds are cinnamons, but we get the occasional blue wing and you can never safely say which nest you have unless you see the male, you know, sitting nearby on a waiting site, right, right by the, the nest that you find. I was not aware of that. I did not know. And does that seem to be an increasing trend? I think it is based on what you've described where we're seeing blue wings, either, either the distribution, either their range is expanding or numbers are growing in that area. Is that what's happening? I think so. Just from what I've read, it seems like they've expanded quite a bit into Washington. And uh, I mean, we see them here. I've only been here for five years, so I can't say with any super high confidence, but uh, it seems like that's the case. Okay. Well, I did learn something new and uh, thank you for that. (laughs) Now, let's see. There is one one other interesting thing that I wanted to talk about. I guess I'd say interesting. It's an interesting topic in in waterfowl and I always just want to kind of come back to this. We had a previous episode about this, the mating system of cinnamon teal. 
Now they're seasonally monogamous, but is there is, is there uh, given their limited distribution, maybe their smaller breeding ranges, is there any evidence of repairing um, for this species, or are they just, or do they just appear as a normal, regularly, you know, seasonally monogamous another dabbling duck? It's hard to say without individually marked birds, uh, males especially. I I wouldn't be surprised if they were repairing, but as far as I know, they're. They're pretty, pretty typical of other small dabbling ducks. I think about ducks a lot. And then as I was preparing for this episode, I just kind of a few thoughts went through my head. I'm like, well, I'll just ask Casey and see if she knows the answer to that. And um, so, okay. Well, what do we know about, about cinnamon teal habitat requirements during winter? Are there, are there any specifics of what they, re- what they require? Um, well, I'm a breeding duck ecologist, so I'm not okay. going to know as much as you might know. However, I think they're pretty similar to blue wings. And just from the GPS data, we've seen quite a few of them are hanging out in agricultural fields and roadside ditches uh, that seem to have a little bit of waste grain, maybe, uh, at least in the, the Mexico uh, migrants. I, I, You know, I guess is that before we before we close out here. I think we missed the most basic aspect of this discussion, which is a description of the bird. And that is one of the most striking aspects of it. So go ahead and tell us about that. Tell us the, what do these birds look like? They're, they're a snappy little duck. Um, they've, they're about the same size as blue wings, a little bit smaller than a shoveler. Um, they have a pretty spatulate bill. When you've got them in the hand, you can, they, they look, they're easy to confuse the bill with the shoveler sometimes, uh, but they have that striking red cinnamon body. The males do. Uh, they've got the the blue, the teal on their wings. And um, a fun fact, if you shoot them during the non-breeding season, which you will, um, the if you look at the wing and you see a dark, like dark speckles in the white bar on there, that's the female. If it's all white, then it's male. Um, but... Yeah, they've got pretty bright yellowish orange feet. And the my favorite part of them is the golden tertials. If you look at a male in breeding plumage, he's got these beautiful gold feathers right at the edge of his wings and they're perfect. Yes, I'd forgotten about those, but they are they are a most striking species, certainly the males. Uh you know, females are cute in their own right, but you know they're, they're again almost identical to a to a blue wing female. So, um, well, Casey, thank you for taking the, your your time and and talking about cinnamon teals. Like we said, they are a very intriguing species. I think I've seen you refer to them as enigmatic, uh, and that certainly is the case. And I, I know, as I said at the outset, it's a bucket list species for many, many people, whether that be harvesting or just seeing. Uh, and it's always a treat for people whenever they encounter them in, you know, in the, the east of the Rockies. I've been on some hunting trips where people have shot uh, cinnamon teal and, and there's actually been some sightings of cinnamon teal with some regularity in southwestern Louisiana on a national wildlife refuge down there. It always makes the rounds. And uh, anyway, just strikingly beautiful birds and encourage people if you have an opportunity to get out and see them see them in their in their habitat it's uh another one of the really fascinating cool waterfowl species that we have here in north america casey thanks again for taking your time to to join us and for sharing your knowledge we're going to have you back to talk about some of your research so until then thank you very much perfect thank you so much i can talk about cinnamon teal all day 
A special thanks to our guest on today's episode, Casey C. Tash, a PhD student at Colorado State University studying cinnamon teal ecology. We greatly appreciate her sharing her time and expertise with us here on the podcast. As always, we thank our producer, Clay Baird, who does a great job editing the podcast and getting them published and released out to you, the listeners. And of course, you, the listeners, you're the most important part of this venture. We couldn't do this without you. We thank you for your comments. We thank you for your time and spending it with us. And we thank you for your support, passion, and commitment to wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.